and welcome to Enter the Fold, a Shadow and Bone podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host who has read the books. And I am Mandy Kay, your host who still has not read the books, and it's getting harder and harder and harder not to pick these books up and read them. And this week we are talking about Episode 7, The Unsee, written by Christina Strain and directed by Jeremy Webb. As an aside, Christina Strain is my, like, number one guest for who runs the Milo Twitter account. There's a Milo Twitter account? Oh How my... have you not shared this with me? I thought you knew. No! I don't know. Oh, it's so good. He basically, or the goat just tweets about how much they hate the stag and how much they want to be a hug summoner. And no, it's really a good. A hug summoner? Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and like okay, you, the account I, I... started tweeting midnight the day that, that, um, Shadow and Bone was released, so it absolutely has to be one of the staff. And um, yeah, Christina Strain. We're seven weeks in, and you haven't told me this. You didn't mention it in the episode where Milo showed up. What? What? I don't. You have failed me, Caitlin. (laughs) I don't. I I see it so much that I assume everyone else does too. And of course, now I can't find any tweets by Milo here. Let me. I don't know. We our our Twitter follows the goat, so I don't know. I assume sometimes you lo- actually no, don't ever look at our Twitter. It's chock full of spoilers. I know that's why I don't look at it. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a fair point. <laughs> like I follow it, but I follow so many other people that like it just gets lost. Um, I have so retweeted I some Milo from our account. Oh my gosh! Okay, I fail at social media. But I, as soon as we are done here, I'm going to go find it. Oh, it is just at should. Milo the goat. It's just at, that's beautiful. That's perfect. <laughs> just a small town goat living in a lonely Grishaverse. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Wait, sorry. Now I'm just looking at the tweets. This is bad. But one that is kind of related to this episode, I guess, is just fine. Make me your emotional support animal. That's beautiful. That's so good. Okay. Oh, my God. But yeah, Christina Strain is my personal number one guest for who runs the Milo account. Oh, my God. I am looking at this right now, and I am just, I, I, I'm in love. I'm, I'm in love. This is amazing. All right. Before we get into it, I have an email from a listener. It is a wonderful, fabulous email where they basically wrote us a short novel of just excitedness. And I wanted to read some of it because it's interesting. It is from Ronnie and I cut out the nice stuff she said about us, but thank you for that. And then maybe I should have done some more editing here, but okay. So she wanted to quickly talk about what we said about not seeing many material kai. It's probably mostly because they're not that relevant in the first book, which is true. Uh, But I also think there's an in-world reason for that. Out of all the Grisha orders, they're probably the ones that need the most training. David may be a prodigy with a natural understanding of science, but the others will need a lot of academic training to be useful. Uh, Knowing that, they suddenly become very expensive. And you can look at real-world armies and see that the kind of people they have a large amount of training invested in them are usually kept away and protected. Heartrenders, on the other hand, are probably the easiest to to, to train. Just do the Hulk smash on the heart. Bada bing, bada boom. I love that. (laughs) Ronnie seems like a really nice person, and I enjoy her. Like, I kind of now just want to make Ronnie our MVP because of that line. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's cheating because it's not the episode, but you know. Yeah. And then she kind of agrees with me about 
how they've made Mal more lovable here. And then she had some things to say about my my FMK comment last week. So mm-hmm. in the books, the whole Mal, Darkling, Redacted uh, FMK is interesting because of what each character represents. Mal being normal, going back to the life Alina knew when she didn't know about her powers. The Darkling is accepting her power, who she is, and what she can do. Redacted is duty and choosing not for Alina herself, but for Ravka. And that works for the narrative. And it it, it does. I agree with that. Uh, even though Ronnie didn't like Mal, there were moments I rooted for him because of what choosing him would give Alina. And there were times I was Team Darkling because I wanted Alina to claim her power and her agency. And even though I was always hoping Redacted would win over Alina's heart, as he did mine, I'm a lesbian, but what a man. I'm sure all of us book readers can agree on that line. Uh, I could understand why Alina was conflicted. Um, But they made Mal too good of a choice. Honestly, I think they might have to make him more of a dick for the second season and then redeem him later. Or no one would root for Redacted. I'm sorry, this is just not fair. <laughs> like, there are so many things I don't know and that I need to read the books for, and I can't read the books, and now you're just, like, being mean. Um, And then I'm just going to sum up that she also thinks... <laughs> like how you're just going to, like, not address that. Yep. <laughs> All right. All right, keep going. Uh, She also just has some things to say about how Matthias and Nina, their relationship in the show, which I think we're going to talk about more next time. But just that it is really rushed in in the show, which it is, and I agree. And but it like they just didn't have the time to give them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because in when you read their flashbacks, they spent a lot of time, you know, wandering around together and stuck together before they were like, okay, well maybe we can trust each other. And even then, at the end, it, well, I'll get into it next week. But they didn't trust each other quite as much as they do in the show. Okay. So it's unfortunate that the show kind of forces things to be rushed that way. Mm-hmm. But everyone I know who hasn't read the books loves Nina and Matthias in the show and thinks that they're basically, like, almost all of them have said, I want to read Six of Crows for Nina and Matthias. Yes. Yeah. So I guess the feelings get across. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that that was the wonderful email from Ronnie. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to annoy mandy i appreciate it (laughs) one day i will be able to log into our email account and actually read all these emails that are full of spoilers one day one day but probably not for many years because you know we have to get through all the seasons first it is okay like i'm not putting down a rule that you cannot read the books i know i know okay but I enjoy our conversations so much more with me not having read the books. That's that's that fair. I, I I want to keep this dynamic for the future. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because, oh, my gosh. I will say the only rule that I personally have is that if you do read the books, we should do an episode on them. Like right. in the in the off season. Maybe I, you know, and, and I've, I've mentioned this before and I still haven't decided, but I might just do, okay, we we did season one. So maybe I'll read book one. And not even touch Six of Crows yet, because I know yeah, we're no, not we're not there yet. But yeah, just read the first book, um, and then do an episode and, and talk about that, and then you know wait until after season two, assuming that they follow the books. You know, you're gonna have to guide me on that. Yeah, but well, maybe we might do that, but that's gonna be hard too. <laughs> I mean, we're on episode seven now, and we have not yet gotten a confirmation of a season two. 
There's no way it's not coming, though. There's no way. I want to agree with you, but Netflix is a tricky bitch. Netflix is a tricky bitch, but I think they've been renewing a lot of stuff recently. So I, I think it's coming. Um, you know, I, there, there, was, there was some talk that people hoped it would come quickly because they did season one and two of Who Killed Sarah, like back to back. But it doesn't look like they're going to do that. Although if if they were, that might explain why there hasn't been an announcement yet. Maybe they're just going to be like, surprise, bitch, season two starts next week. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, we know that that's not the case because of following the cast on social media. Sadly. Well, I don't follow the cast on social media, so I can't get spoiled. Yeah, that's 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 a good plan. Um, but yeah, like I know the actor who plays Jesper, Kit Young, is currently filming a movie for Netflix. So, oh, so they haven't even started filming season two yet, have they? As far as we know, they haven't even started writing it. What I choose to personally believe is that, like behind the scenes, it's been given the thumbs up. They're just like working out contracts, and mm. then they can announce it. Okay. That's my personal, like, what I believe to keep me going. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'd be terribly, terribly sad. Yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that Netflix wouldn't renew it, given how much space they're giving Shadow and Bone on their their Facebook accounts, I'll say. Because I am on Facebook, and Facebook has discovered that I like Shadow of Bone, and yeah. so I am constantly seeing... I like I don't follow Netflix Geeked, the, the Facebook page, but... Facebook constantly shows me their posts that are about Shadow and Bone, and they devote a lot of time to little video snippets of the cast, introducing themselves, explaining kind of who their character is in season one and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's just a lot of effort to put into something that they're not going to continue. Well, I guess we shall see. Now, um, let's dig into the episode. We start with the opening title, Cards and Gunshots. So, is it just me, or does that feel like it belongs in a different episode? <sighs> I can see that. I, I will say, I thought that this episode was sort of the emotional, climactic situation for the crows. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's when, you know, like, Inej and Kaz have their heart-to-heart, and, and so do Inej and, and Jesper. Jess. Yeah. So I can see where this is sort of, it's not the end of their story, but everything that happens after this is like, they've worked out their shit. Well, yeah. their current, sh- I don't want to say they've worked out all their shit, but you know what I mean. The three of them have decided that they are a team. Yeah, I guess I can see that. It's just Jesper and particularly Jesper shooting was not featured in this episode. And so it just That's felt... True. Or, or maybe I'm wanting it to be too on the nose and this was just subtle. I don't like subtle sometimes. Or it's possible they just came up with all these ideas and fit them in best they could. And this was best they could. Yeah. Who knows? All right. And then we get started with the thing that gives me lots of feels. The flashback. Now, I will say for book readers, if you haven't watched, I don't know, every single interview the way I have... They did originally want to do the short story, The Demon in the Woods, which is like a a short story about the Darkling when he was very young. That Mm -hmm. is, it's in my copy of Ruin and Rising, but I don't know where else you can find it. It's not in every copy of Ruin and Rising. You had to get like the first edition, I think. 
I don't even know. But you can find it out there. But they didn't go with that because it would have been a lot of money and basically like a whole new cast. And also the Darkling was so young that it he would not have been played by Ben Barnes. They would have had to get like a 15-year-old. Mm. Yeah, he can't pass for 15. I'm yeah, sorry. No. So that's ultimately why they didn't do it. I do think that that story is a better origin story for the Darkling because it doesn't fridge a random lady. Mm-hmm. But this one was fine. Yeah, this... I have a lot of feels about Kerrigan as a villain. Kerrigan does not, he absolutely does not see himself as a villain. Like, no. he has been manipulating people for so long that he's manipulated himself. I can like, see that. Absolutely. He 100% believes that he is making good and right choices for himself and the Grisha. Yes. 100%. I don't even think it's only that. I think it's that he believes he is the only one who can make these good and right choices for the Grisha. Right. Absolutely. And it's it's hard because, you know, last episode, you know, we were talking and I was struggling with this new Kerrigan because I believed him. I was with Alina and I believed him mm-hmm. until we found out who he was. And now, like, that switch has flipped for me and I see him as the villain, but then this episode comes up and is like, well, maybe you should reconsider a little bit. Like he's complicated and complex and he has feelings and he's not just straight up evil. No, I agree. He's not, or maybe at least he wasn't always just straight up evil. He has a well, lot going on. He still doesn't on. believe like, so that line at the end when he says, fine, make me your villain Like, he 100% does not believe he's a villain. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I don't quite know what to do with that. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, (laughs) he's chaining her up. He forces her to do stuff here. I know. He's doing some bad shit. He absolutely is. But he thinks that he's doing bad shit for the right reasons. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so let's let's examine this flashback instead of just screaming about okay. the Darkling. Okay. Uh, so we meet young Ben Barnes from, I don't know, I've heard people say that this gives them like Prince Caspian vibes. I was more like um, Stardust vibes. Yes, definitely more Stardust vibes. Yeah. Um, clean shaven, longer hair. I genuinely personally can't tell if they did digitally de-age him a bit or if they just shaved him. Because sometimes like people I know in real life, when they shave, I'm like, oh, you just lost 15 years. You're, you are an yeah. actual child now. Like, we are in our 30s, but you are a child. I don't think they de-aged him at all because I think he still, I mean, he looked like he was close to 30. He still looks like that when he's got the beard. Hmm. You know, just the, he's, he's hundreds of years older, but, like, his body still looks the same. But he did look younger. Like, when you, when we cut to the Darkling quickly at the end, he does look older i don't know the magic of cinema anyways right and then we meet somebody who's has a name that is luda and then she dies to give the darkling motivation which is always always a fun time and also murder murder is always a fun time because that's what he does here he cuts them all in half yes he does does that make you feel like anything against him because i mean the main The main, like, general or whatever dude, he was being a dick, but the other ones were just following orders. They were just regular grunts. Right, but they were still trying to kill everybody. I mean, we just found out that all of the Grisha are under attack. They've had to run to the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Alexander is, he's trying to negotiate for their lives. 
Every time you call him Alexander, I'm just like, what the fuck? But carry on. (laughs) Like, he's trying to negotiate for their lives here, you know? He's trying to keep Luda alive. He's trying to keep himself alive. He's trying to save all the Grisha. And these people just don't care. Like, in the flashback, absolutely, the king and the king's guards are set up as the villains. Yeah. And Kerrigan, the Darkling, is just trying to save his people, and that's what he does. And... When they killed Luda the way they did, I mean, they killed her out of spite. They yeah. killed her to hurt him. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. And, like, they really linger on the knife going in, and then they twist the knife. And Ugh. it's like, Jesus Christ, why? Yeah. Um, it's, it's terrible. So, yeah, I, I don't feel any sympathy for them. And I honestly was rooting for him to break that branch and be able to do his thing. I, I also did. I was just playing devil's advocate there. I felt no sympathy when he cut them in half. It's fine. Yeah. But see, that that's what starts the complicated feelings in this episode, because they start us off by feeling empathy for him, for rooting for him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, God, these writers, man. I mean, Lee Bardugo, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's good. Although, again, the Demon in the Woods backstory, he had a little less, a little less sympathy. Oh, okay. All right. So that's a show thing. Um, so then he brings Luda's body to the sanctuary, hoping that there will be a healer there who can heal her, but she is the only one they have, so she does actually die. When this lady here, when when uh, the Darkling brings her in and he's like, do we have a healer? And the, and the person says, the best we have is a tailor. I was like, no, what? Jenny was the first tailor. She teaches the, she teaches other people how to be, she, it doesn't matter any it doesn't matter at all but why that, that's sort of the whole that's why she doesn't fit in that's why that's her whole fucking story anyways they have not made that clear in the show no they have not clearly if they had a tailor here so I, but okay i i guess i just don't understand why like that line there could have just been no and it would have changed nothing and yeah. it would it would have helped drive home that Jenny is the only one like her, and she has always been on the outside, just like Alina, which is A, why they're friends, and why her betrayal that we're going to talk about later is such a bitch. But carry on. All right. He decides to go see Bagra, who looks younger because they gave her dark hair instead of gray hair, but it's that's it. She I think just, they, they either color. They either digitally or, like, gave her some fucking intense makeup because she does look younger. Like, her, her skin looks less wrinkly. I don't know. That's not what I mean. Okay. But. I, I understand what you mean. I understand. I, I think I only noticed the difference in the hair because she just, she still looks just like her. Yeah. I and cannot then, remember the actress's name. Uh, Zoe Wanamaker. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this, this conversation between Bagra and Kirigan is fascinating to me. And. The intense lore drop that we get here. Like this is some stuff that doesn't come up till book three. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Bagra blames Kerrigan for the persecution of the Grisha. Mm-hmm. Like, that's evident. Well, and she blames that they're coming after them all right now. And also, because the Grisha have always been persecuted. Okay. Like, even before. I, I believe Kier, Kierigan, uh whatever, working with the king and being his general was, like, his first attempt to uh-huh. be, like... We can be friends. It's cool. But no, Grisha have always been persecuted. 
Right, but I, I guess specifically here, he says, I won a war for him, and it's talking about the king. Yeah. And Bagger says, and in doing so, started a war on us. And so she is blaming what's happening right now. The yes. very specific persecution and hunting down of the Grisha now um, on him because okay. yes. the king fears him and what the Grisha can, what he understands the Grisha can do now. So she's telling Kerrigan to flee, like just go out, go away, wait until the king dies, and then come back in a few years. Yeah. Um, and then. I, I love this next bit because Kerrigan says, no, I want to stay. I want to teach the Grisha how to fight. Bagger says the Grisha aren't fighters. They fix things. They make things. Yeah. And Kerrigan says, fine, then we make an army. And Bagger's like, no, 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 no. I love it. You know, she's, she's, I like how they set up Bagger and Kerrigan to be opposites. Mm-hmm. But they're still so very similar. Like, he only does the things that he does because she taught them to him. Yeah. And but they use it so differently. And, you know, here she says we practice the small science, not magic, because she doesn't want him to use. Merzost. Merzost. That's what it is. Um, so I love a lot of what Bagger is saying here because it really shows how she's not that great of a person either. Because she's literally mm-hmm. like, just abandon them. Like, just right? go away, let them hunt everyone else down, and come back. And I think that that sort of shows a lot that we can assume about how Kerrigan was raised by Bagra. Right. It seems like very much that Bagra views her, her and Kerrigan as superior to the other Grisha because they live longer. Mm-hmm. Because she, like, she says, I can't remember exactly what it is, but she says something disparaging about Luda. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is similar yeah. to kind of what Kerrigan was saying at the the start of the episode when he's like, you're just mortal. Like, yeah. and then when she died, he was like, yeah, see, you're just mortal. And that's kind of sad. And then, so Kerrigan has a line here where he says about making an army. He says, Mordzova did it. He forged new life. And then he says, we are his bloodline. So Mordzova is of course the dude who made the, the stag, the, the amplifiers, the, mm-hmm. the legendary amplifiers. And they are his bloodline. I'm sorry, that doesn't come out to like book three, I swear. So that's crazy okay. that that's here. Anyways, they're related. I didn't know that was a big deal. I guess it's not, but you didn't know that before he said it. Okay. That he was related to. Right. It's over. And I, Bagra, so I want to make her delivers some of these lore lines so good. When she says, the small science feeds us, Morzos feeds on us. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping you can actually explain this next scene to me because I don't entirely understand what's happening here. And I'm thinking that maybe the book or information that you have. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the archives to find Merzos's more so dude's journals. Mm-hmm. And so he immediately somehow in these archives goes straight to the journal that he needs. And he finds this tiny little scrap of paper that, of course, is written in Robkins and we can't read it. Mm-hmm. And he says some things under his breath and magic happens. I don't know. It, it's a little bit like Dark Willow in season six where she like puts all the magic in her body and like the words go up her arms and like he's got these black veins going up his neck. Right. What happened here? Like what did he do? I think, okay, so this isn't from the books, but we can, so there is a point in the books where people are looking for 
Moritz Ova's old journals to research some stuff. So I guess that's where they got that. And I, why this in particular would be in the journals, I don't know. Because Moritz Ova was mostly about the amplifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, yeah, sure. Mostly about the amplifiers. Let's just go with that. Um, but the implication there is that he is using Merzost. And what happens to him is like a physical representation of the magic feeding on him. Instead of when they use the small science, that w- that's what keeps them young and healthy and gives them this really long life that they've had. Okay. So we're just not supposed to know what the magic is there. Like like what he was specifically trying to accomplish right then and there? Yes. Yeah, no, no idea. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, so we, fi- we find out the implication shortly after, right? The soldiers arrive and they're surrounded at their sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Kerrigan goes out to meet them, and he uses this magic that he has just absorbed somehow. He casts a spell. He says, I have no army of my own. I will remake yours. Mm-hmm. And we get the same black vein things, and this, like, darkness shockwave comes out and hits the soldiers. Mm-hmm. And then they all start to have black veins, too. But yep. as Bagra previously predicted when she was telling him not to use Morisova's magic, it's he can't control it. And doing what he just did is what creates the fold. Like, he didn't set out to create the fold. He didn't do it on purpose. It was a byproduct of what he just did to the soldiers. Yes, which is an interesting... I don't know if that's ever made clear in the books. I I genuinely don't remember. Okay. If it was two separate things like that. But I do know... At least, like, he... So he turned the soldiers into Volcra, is what happened there. I don't know. So that was his goal? He was turning them into something? Yeah. But what happened is that he couldn't control them, and and they would come after him just as much as anyone else, Mm -hmm. which is why he's never been able to control the fold the way he's wanted to. Okay. And they also don't go into it here, but... It kind of comes up later, I guess. Anywhere that the fold was created, any people that got caught in it, they were also turned into Volcra. Yeah, Bagra said that and when she was telling Alina. Oh, okay. Great, great. About it. So, like, Wonderful. the men, women, and children who were there, they all turned into Volcra. Yes. Um, so it sounded, at that point, it sounded like the magic of the fold is what turned them into Volcra. But I guess instead it's really the other way around. His magic to create the Volcra is what created the fold, and it was like a snowball cascading effect. Yeah, I guess. But then, and then the Volcra can't leave the fold either, so. Right. Okay. Um, Kirgan escaped with Bagra, and she sees what he did, and she just flat out says, what did you do? And he says, I he made something. something. That was good. And my, my note here is he may not have done it on purpose, but he's proud as shit of it. Yeah. And that just adds to my complicated feelings. Like, I think it matters that he didn't create it on purpose, but I also think it matters that he's still proud of it. I think it's important to keep in mind that he turned people into Volker on purpose, too. You know? Like, yes. he, he was definitely trying to do something there. Damn the consequences. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. And then we come back to the present. And we see Kerrigan just walking in some snow. And I feel like if this was a regular airing on television, that would be where we cut for opening credits. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 
we just have a quick snippet of him in the snow. David says that they're very close to Alina. Yeah. Hilariously, um, like this flashback was so interesting and, and well-written and contained within itself that like I texted you this morning and said I was going to be late because I hadn't watched the episode yet. And when I was getting near the end of the flashback, I literally had the thought, oh, maybe I won't be late because we're almost done. As though oh. that was the end of the episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, but nope. Yeah. We still no. have a whole bunch of stuff to do this <laughs> yeah. episode. I like this next scene. I I wanted to nominate Jesper's gag reflex as MVP of the episode until things happen later. Yes. it's. I love his little gag re- reflex thing because it... It makes it less, like, because they give us some really close-up shots of her stitching herself up. I'm like, why? Yeah. I don't know. But it makes it less, ooh, because Jesper is like, ooh. Right. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that he's a sharpshooter who doesn't like blood. Yeah. <laughs> but he cannot handle it. I love it. And, of course, I do um, have to mention that every single look on Kaz's face in this scene is perfection. I don't remember Kaz's face in this episode, in this scene. This is likely because you're not looking for Kaz's face. Probably. Um, and, and Kaz leaves, so it ends up just being Inej and Jesper at the end of the scene, so I I don't remember. Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch it. It's so good. Um, I like in this scene, you know, Inej is saying she can't go back. She won't go back to the menagerie. Mm-hmm. And Jesper is going to say something, and he interrupts himself. And she's like, what? And she's like, I was going to tell you to trust Kaz, but I don't have the right to tell you what you should do with your shot at freedom. Yeah. And I love this moment between the two of them. All right. So I'm going to talk about here a big mistake that I think the show has made. But I also I don't want to gloss over that Jesper does say I'm fantastic. And it's fabulous. That is fabulous. <laughs> um, so in the book, Kaz is not the leader of their gang. There's like an older dude whose name is Pascal, oh. who is the leader of the gang. Kaz is just like a lieutenant and he sort of runs jobs and he's kind of like the the leader in the background, but there is like an older dude who, you know, collects his 10% from every job and is the actual leader of the gang. Mm-hmm. So when Kaz wants to get an edge out of the menagerie, he has the leader of the gang buy her indenture from the menagerie. So then... um. Inej is indentured to the gang or the gang leader. In this, because I 100% get why they cut that character out. He's not important until, well, eh, he's not important really. And making Kaz leader of the gang, it, it, it works. It just simplifies things. Makes sense for a show. Except that now Kaz owns Inej's indenture. Mm-hmm. And that is complicated. That creates a power dynamic. Yeah. Okay. And it also is like, why Why would she stay then? Why would she go back to Ketterdam if there isn't mm-hmm. somebody that she knows would hunt her down if she ditched? Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, isn't she free either way, though? Because Helene has the Crow Club. So even if she goes back, they don't have the money to get that collateral back. Yeah. So Helene gets to keep the Crow Club. So Inez should be free either way. Well... Oh, she might not know the details on that because uh, Kaz walked off. Okay, that's fair. But that's fair. but yeah, no, you you bring up a good point. But still, like, why would she ever go back to Ketterdam then? Yeah, I mean, other than her friends. Yeah, but like, I think it's clear that she'd love to know if her family was still alive, and 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, and she, in the show at least, she has a brother that she'd like to track down. So I I get why they made that choice, but I think it is the wrong choice, honestly. Just for that. Mm -hmm. The the, the weird power dynamic with with Kaz owning the indenture instead of Perhaskell. Okay. That's all. Then we go to Mal and Alina in the snow. Um, this is where she tells Mal that she has to be the one to kill the stag. Mm-hmm. Um, Mal makes jokes because she's a cartographer, not a soldier. Yeah. Um, but he says he'll help her. Of course, then Mal magically hears the stag and they keep moving towards it. They have found it. Yeah, a stag. Um, but I like this scene. Alina is standing there with, with the gun ready mm-hmm. to shoot it and she can't do it. Um, and she is hoping that there might be another way to get the power of the stag without killing it, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great because it immediately shows that she thinks differently than Kerrigan. And she touches the stag and immediately amplifies her power. Everything glows. She's smiling. We're happy. It's great. <laughs> and then the stag is shot yep. because Kerrigan and his band have found them. It's so intense. God damn it, David. I was rooting for you. Yeah. Um, so the Grisha, we haven't seen Kerrigan yet, but the his Grisha are there, Ivan and Zoya and whoever else is there. Unnamed um, they Grisha. Shoot. Is that what it is? Unnamed Grisha? Yeah. They don't matter. <laughs> Just Ivan and Zoya matter. Uh, they shoot Mal, and Alina uses her power offensively for the first time, I think. That we've seen, yeah. That Yeah, that we've seen. Um, so Kerrigan walks up and is about to kill the stag. She runs to it and uses it to amplify her power, and she creates this shield of light around her, Mal, and the stag. Which and is cool. I really like that bit, because I don't know if she could do that, that, this, like, light shield that they can't enter, and that it blocks, because, um, the Darkling was shot the cut at, at the deer, and it reflects off of her shield. Yeah. So that's, that's a big thing, because that right. just cuts anybody in half. Um, but Kerrigan knows exactly what to say to get through to Alina and promises her that if she gives him the stag, he will have his healer save Mal. Um, Mal, at this point, tries to stop her and tries to get her to kill the stag. Like, he's trying to get a knife to her. Like, Alina, do it, do it. You have to do it now. But, of course, she can't. She has to rush to Mal and protect him. So Kerrigan does kill the stag. Mm-hmm. But Kerrigan does have them heal Mal. He says, I am a man of my word. He was only protecting Miss Starkov. Sure. They are really trying to make this man super complex. Yes, but, I mean, keep in mind, he's also trying to keep all of his Grisha loyal to him. That's fair, because I was actually wondering through this episode, like, how, like, what did these Grisha think about what he's doing to Alina? Yeah. Like, and I wonder if he spun this tale that Alina ran off because she doesn't want to destroy the fold and he's trying to force her to work with him to do that. And that's why they're still helping him. Like, they don't say, but I I found myself wondering, why are they watching him do this and why are they okay with it? Yeah. And I would 100% believe that of him, that that's the story he's told, that he's going after her so that they can take down the fold. Yeah. It's an intense scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good, though. I will say, when she pulls the arrow out of Mal, I'm like, I just don't think this is the time and the place. Like, that just seemed like a dumb choice. <laughs> yeah. 
because you, a you're just fucking them up more and then right. and you're making them bleed more and it, it just seemed a weird thing to concentrate on right then why pull the arrow out like just leave it in it's get him to the er they'll take it out right <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that's field medicine 101 yeah but she hasn't been taught anything so i guess whatever a quick cut back to Kaz and Inej. Inej has made her decision. She comes out to say goodbye, and Kaz rec- recognizes that's what she's doing. Okay, wait, wah, 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 wah. Before we go any further with their fabulous conversation here. So last week, I pointed out that Grisha asked Jesper what he was, basically. And did you notice that they answer that question here? No. <laughs> so... Kaz's cane is in two pieces. It, it was literally cut in half by the Darkling. And she comes out and says, Jesper, fix your cane. And it's in one piece. Yeah, I totally did not pick up on that at all. Yeah. So wait, is Jes- Jesper's a Grisha? Jesper's a Grisha. I might get in trouble for that being a spoiler, but... They know um, Jesper's a Grisha? Yeah. Jesper huh. is a fabricator. Interesting. I will hold to that not being a spoiler, because again, if you're paying attention... It's in the show. They just right. do it really subtly. Okay. But you can clearly, like, Jesper even plays with one half of the cane in the previous scene. And you can very clearly see that it is half a cane, not a full cane. Huh. Wow. Yeah, no, I had no idea. Do, is Inez a Grisha? Uh, the show has not hinted at that at all. That's a very diplomatic <laughs> answer. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. All right. Do you want me to say yes or no? No, 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 it's fine. I think you blew my mind a little bit with Jesper being a Grisha. How did he end? Okay, I can only assume we find out later, like, how, why he's not in the second army. Well, again, I think we've gone over this before in previous episodes. Not every Grisha wants to be, well, A, not every Grisha is from Ravka. Jesper isn't. He's from Novia Zem. And not every Grisha wants to be in the Ravkan army. Or in the army at all. And again, right. Grisha are persecuted all over the world. So not everybody who is a Grisha wants it to be known that they're a Grisha. All right. That's all fair. Yeah. Okay. So Kaz knows that Inez is coming out to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically lets her walk away. But then he yells after her, you are right. And she turns around and he says, you're right about Alina. She's real. Um, the magic or the light is hers. It comes from her. Yeah. Um, he doesn't believe she's a saint like Inej does. And so Inej asks him, what do you believe in? And he says, myself, you, Jesper, my crows. I love this conversation so much. Because I knew you were going to be having little like gushing fits over this. They have changed a lot about the crows, obviously. But I feel like they've just nailed the Kaz and Inej relationship mm-hmm. a lot here and it's so good and then when he says no saint ever watched over me not like you have it's perfect mm-hmm. it's wonderful and I love it so much yeah yeah Kaz is being vulnerable here um, which we don't see often and he never does it in a group he's only vulnerable one-on-one with people yeah um and it's it's fantastic I love the the way they talk about actual crows here like mm-hmm. 
you know, crows remember who's done them wrong, but they also remember who has their back, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, what Kaz is saying here. And this is where, you know, Kaz specifically says, you won't go back to the menagerie. Yeah. And she believes him and she decides to stay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a great moment going if we if we compare if we pair that with what Jesper just said is I wouldn't dream of telling you what to do with your shot at freedom. And here she's given the choice. She can leave or not. And she chooses to stay like this is what she's going to do with her shot at freedom. She's going to stay with Kaz and believe that she can have freedom with Kaz and Jesper in Ketterdam. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I, I like when, when you mentioned Kaz being vulnerable, and he is, but he also has, like, the grumpiest look on his face, which I I love well, a lot. Well, does he ever not have a grumpy look on his face? Well, that's fair. But also, like, Kaz being vulnerable, he would be upset about it, you know? Yeah, that's true. Like, why do I have to say this about myself? <laughs> Don't you like my 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 yes. cast impersonation? Yes, that's perfect. It's wonderful. <laughs> and then we get David doing what he's supposed to do, and I don't like it at all. Sorry, just as an aside, before we get to David, for yep. the, obviously it is very difficult for me not to talk more about Cass here, but I can't. So I just want everybody to know I'm like I'm in pain. And yes, David here. <laughs> In this sort of, in the equivalent scene to this in the book, David had, you could tell he had misgivings about forcing Alina into this. And I'm sad that they didn't really give him that here. He was just like, yeah, let's do this. No, I I feel like he had misgivings. Oh, okay. The way the way he acted it, he, he was hesitant as he was doing things. And then um, he had that snide in theory. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when... Kerrigan, oh God, I almost called him Kaz. When Kerrigan asks him, you know, is this going to bridge the gap? And he says, yes, you should have full control of her power. And then like under his breath, he says, in theory. Yeah. Like almost like he doesn't want it to work. Oh, okay. That's how I read the scene because he felt very, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It felt like he was holding back. Hmm. I didn't pick up on that at all. So that's interesting. So... But uh, this this is gross. I, I just I want to say that like I feel like like is there a correlation to how much bone they use to how powerful the amplifier is? Um, I don't know. Like why they chose to do it this way is weird. I mean, I I get that they wanted the imagery of the collar. Mm-hmm. Like I totally understand that, but. It's just gross the way he puts it in around her collarbone and, like, parts of her skin don't fully close over the bone that's inside of her. Yeah. And then the, the piece on Kierigan's hand is gross, and I just don't like any of it. Yeah, the uh, the body horror was, was a choice because it's not like that in the book. Yeah. It's just and... like, we made a necklace out of bones. You can never take it off. There you go. Or out yeah. of antlers, I guess. Um. Yeah, no, no. They they put these bones inside her body. It's gross and painful, it looked like, as well. Yeah, it's um, weird. And now Kerrigan controls her power. She, he can call forth her powers, and she can't stop him. She tried, and she couldn't turn it off because yeah. he was making it happen, and that's just horrifying. I'm, so the 
the Darkling having some of the antler in him, that's a show thing because I guess they wanted to have a visual representation of their connection now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. Interesting choice. So how did they do it in the book then? How she, He killed he... the deer. They put the necklace on her. He could control her power. Done and done. Because he killed oh. the deer. Oh, that's interesting. That implies that you could implant the bone of any amplifier into any Grisha and you could control it yep. if it was your... Oh, wow, that's dark and horrifying and mm-hmm. much bigger. I think I like this better because it implies you have to have a physical connection. I mean, it is also... Like, Moritzova's uh, amplifiers are different than other amplifiers, so it might just be them that you can do that with. Who knows? That's never okay. really explored. There's so much history and lore in this world that I wish I knew more about, which is probably in the books, and they just didn't have time for it in the show. Yes. So. Um, then we get a quick scene of the crows again. They're wanting to get back into the conductor's train so they can get back across the fold, but the king's guards have found it, and it explodes. I love this scene. She calls him Jess. Kaz looks grumpy about it. And then Landmine. And I love that, like, there was a return of the landmines. Yeah. I like that Jesper's like, Jess, it's Suli for friendship. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love Jess. I mean, that's in the general. whole scene. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's the whole scene. Uh, and then we're back to them driving into, I think this is Kribirsk. So we're back to where we started. Mm-hmm. I feel like they've stopped having the city names pop up on the screen, or maybe I just don't notice them anymore. Hmm. I did not notice it here. I would have liked to. Well, anyways, we're back to where we started from in episode one. Yep. This is where the skiff is to cross the fold. Janya comes to see Alina in like the fancy tent that she's being kept in. And she is now, we, we have like a kefta update. So she's now in a red kefta, the red of the corporal kai, with mm-hmm. purple uh, embroidery. And purple is the color of the fabricators. So it implies that she's kind of... And in between there. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I know Jenya does uh, complain about the color red. Yeah, because she has the red hair. Yeah. And then they really intensely just kind of like brush over that there is a coup happening in Ravka. Like the king has been poisoned and de-deposed and the apparat, the creepy rat dude, is now in control, except maybe it's actually the darkling that's in control. Like... They really just kind of mention that and then move on. But like in the mm-hmm. book, this was a big thing. Like there's the Darkling is taking over. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, but Alina kind of figures out what's happening here. Yeah. Um, she really, because at first she thinks Jenya's her friend and she tries to get Jenya to go to the king. And that's when she finds out that the king is sick. And Alina realizes, holy crap you've been working for Kerrigan all along. You're the reason the king is sick. And Jenya says, I tried to warn you, which is shitty. Yeah. And Alina's like, oh, yeah, you said be careful of powerful men. And then she's like, you should have added in devious women, which is a little unfair because I don't know that, that Jenya is being devious per se. Like she was doing her job. Yeah. Um, it's It's interesting because... So, okay, I I do like this scene because it really shows, like, how and why the Grisha followed the Darkling, mm-hmm. even when they have an idea that he maybe isn't the best person ever. 
because he does continually show them how everyone else and every other choice is worse. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah. she's been basically a slave to the queen and been presumably continuously raped by the king. Yeah, yeah. They they spend a lot of time setting that moment up here yeah. and making you understand why Jenya is doing what she's doing. Um, and even Alina realizes that, you know, she says the king deserves every bit of your vengeance. Like, she mm-hmm. recognizes that and understands why Jenya would do that. But then she says, but Kerrigan does not deserve your loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, because she wants Jenya to understand who Kerrigan is. Because the the Grisha don't know that Kerrigan is the black heretic. They think that he's here Right. To save them and to rescue them. And Alina is trying to get that information across. Um, but Jinya just flat out says, no, I, I'm a soldier. Like, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. And she leaves. And it's it's a hard scene to watch because you're watching Jinya tell the story about how the king has come to her every night. And she couldn't say no. She couldn't. Yeah get him off of her and her eyes are just full of tears as she's trying to explain this is when I have my moment of power and you want to be on her side but it's so hard because also her side is Kirigan's side yeah it it's tough and but it's also important I think to keep in mind that the Darkling put her in that position and I think I think Alina even points that out Mm-hmm. like she was in that position like the darkling didn't have to gift her to the queen to spy on them for him which is what yeah. he did he he could have just he could have kept her in the little palace with the other grisha had her training mm-hmm. there yeah so the implication is very much that kerrigan knew what the king was doing yeah. and let it happen yeah so it's it's definitely a tough scene and then we're back with the crows doing some scheming Yep. With their scheming music playing. Love it. I didn't even notice. No. Wow, I am so unobservant. Yeah, they have this, like, I cannot replicate it, but they have this song or song music that plays when they do schemey things. It's great. Okay. I love them. Uh, that's pretty quick. And then we have a scene with Mal and the Darkling. I'm unsure if we ever see these two talk in the book, but they do seem to do it a lot in the show. Like, one-on-one, I don't think. Well, obviously, we wouldn't because it's uh, the books are told from Alina's point of view. Yeah. And I just think that's an interesting choice that they keep wanting these two to have scenes together. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think it's just to show us the juxtaposition between the two, particularly when it comes to Alina. Yeah. Um, this is where we find out that Mal does know that he's the black heretic. Yeah. Um, which means sometime between last episode and this episode, Alina did finally tell him the truth. Um, but certainly she didn't do it on screen. Mal calls him Shadow Man, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get a really interesting insight into Kerrigan here. Like, he truly believes that Alina is going to forgive him one day. Like, I don't think he's saying this for Mal's benefit. I think he believes it. Absolutely. Um, you know, he's talking about how Mal's going to grow old and die. He says, I'm not going to kill you, Mal. I don't need to. Time will do it for me. Yeah, um, that's but a good Alina, line. It is a good line. That's the line that, that I think they, they cut to the next scene on. But, mm-hmm. like, this whole scene, he's talking about how it may take one year, it may take 50. But one day, Alina is going to recognize that I am the only equal that she has. 
It's and he believes it. Yeah. Like, ben that's Barnes enough. is so good in this scene because he is so very charismatic, mm-hmm. even when he's being so threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. It is good. It's, um, you know, I think both Ben Barnes and Archie Renault are fantastic actors. Yeah. They do really good here. Yeah. And I, it's just another scene that, that makes me want to feel things for the Darkling. <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, I like it, but I don't like it. Um, and then we have some more crow scheming. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> I really, really love they knock them out. And then I guess Jesper's lifting them up and says, are you going to help? And Kaz just lifts his cane. It's just so good. It's so <laughs> perfect. And it's so Kaz. Yeah. And then, you know, we get the documents, you know, Kaz's fix their documents so that they can use them. And Jesper's like, <sighs> No one's ever going to believe I'm that old. That's such a Jesper line. And Kaz saying, you tell yourself that. And mm-hmm. he's almost laughing, but he's Kaz, so he's not laughing. Right. Oh, it's so good. It's so very, like, this sounds stupid to say because it's between Kaz and Jesper, but it's so mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Oh. I like that we get these brief moments of the crows because it does give us a bit of respite from the darkness of the rest of this episode Mm -hmm. like we do get a few moments of levity and a few moments to laugh if the crows weren't in this season oh my god it'd be so dark yep yep i was actually thinking about this earlier because like shadow and bone is a short book and if so if they were doing an eight episode season and they hadn't decided to include the crows they would have either had to pad it out with something else so they made the good choice in padding it out with characters we already know and love, uh, book readers. and Or they would have had to, like, smoosh some of the books. Mm. Like, did a, do a book and a half mm-hmm. or something like that, which would have been interesting. That's all. So I, I approve of, yeah, of no. having the crows here. Absolutely. I definitely think it was the, the good choice. I imagine it will make reading the book difficult for me because if they're not in it, then like other things happen but i'm i'm, I'm glad they're here that's all yeah. i'm saying me too and then milo is back milo milo i distinctly recall the first time watching this episode and when you see the goat and the bullet and it's just like <gasps> yeah it's so yeah. exciting for me um so he's got that bullet around his neck from jasper which apparently is Chekhov's bullet yeah um <laughs> <laughs> because it, of course, just fits perfectly into where it needs to go in, in the, like, handcuffs that Mal has on. Of course. Absolutely. Thanks, Jesper. And and Mal just happens to have food in his pocket to get yep. Milo to come over. Um, to be fair about the-, the food, I think he's he's in, like, a supply tent. Like, I think there's food oh. in the tent. Okay. All right. Well, that would explain why Milo was outside the tent. Yeah. Um, but Mal, of course, treats Milo the way he deserves to be treated. He calls him beautiful and kisses him. And even though he smells, thanks him. And, you know, it's, it's a good scene. I'm, I, I don't have the words to express how happy I am that they did this because it doesn't make any sense that I love it so much. It's just like a stupid little thing, but I love it Mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. I mean, something's wrong with you. If you don't love Milo, I will go on record as to saying that. 
And also, I just love this idea that they were writing it and they were like, so how are we going to get Mal out of the handcuffs? And somebody like put up their hand David style and was like, the goat has a bullet around its neck. (laughs) Well, just also imagine like, right, like it just it ties the crows into the story. Yep. Even more like Mal couldn't have escaped without Jesper. Yeah, it's so good. It's fantastic. I love it. I love it. So Mal uses the bullet to escape. It's wonderful. And then we're with Alina and the Darkling. Here we are, the big scene. They talk it all out. Also, he has a line that says, telling you half a story is not the same as lying. Actually, fuck you, Darkling. (laughs) (laughs) That's bullshit. Yeah. I I think this whole conversation is beautiful because- It shows Alina's growth. Mm-hmm. Like she sees him for who he is, not for who he sees himself as. Yep. Um, you know, he says, everything that I have done, everything that I have ever done has been to make Ravka safer, to make Grisha safer. Yeah. And Alina calls him on it, like outright, like with Jinya. You gave Jinya to the queen. You put Jinya in that place with the king. And... Oh, she says something about what he did to Bagra, and I can't remember what it is now. But I I wrote it down. Alina calls him on it with Jenya and Bagra. So, like, she is seeing the manipulation that he has done. Mm-hmm. And she flat out says, I could have made Grisha safe, but you never gave me a choice. Yeah. And he just, he keeps on with that same spiel that he has been feeding her since the beginning. Like, we can do this together. You can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. But together we can. And she just flat out says, we could have had this. All of this. You could have made me your equal. Instead, you made me this. And she points to the collar. So good. It's so good. And and she she tells him, you don't care who suffers as long as you win. And this is when he says, fine make me your villain and turns around and walks out and let me tell you during this scene when he paused and said fine every single book reader was like yes it's the line this is a very famous line from the book the fine make me your villain. oh i like it it's a it's great huge line. line his delivery is amazing yep. and it just it continues to point out the fact that he truly believes he's not like, he honestly believes he's doing the right thing for himself and for the Grisha. And it just makes him such a complex and complicated villain. Yep. And I like that because so often villains are one-dimensional. They're just the villain. And Kerrigan is not bad. Yeah. I I love how he's a villain who wants the same things that the good guys want, but just doesn't want them in the right way. Yeah. Or, you know, his, he's been too old that he's lost sight of why he wants them or what's important about what he wants like he wants to make the grisha keep the grisha safe but he wants to do it in such a way that he uses his power to push down everybody who would harm the grisha yeah it's very magneto oh my god it is oh my god it is yeah yeah absolutely i don't know if that makes alina professor x not yes, she's Logan. <laughs> there is no Professor X yet. <laughs> um, I don't know if there will be. But oh, sorry, she's Logan. <laughs> Why is that funny? I, it just because so I went specifically with Professor X because obviously people like to ship Magneto and Professor X. So when you said she's Logan, I imagined 
Magneto and Logan being shit, and it just it was funny oh, in my head. That is, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> then we get a quick scene where Ivan tells Kerrigan that Mal has escaped, and it's interesting because he says to let him go if he flees, but to kill him if he gets near Alina. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that he is willing to let him go if he just leaves. You are so interesting in the way you interpret things. Because, like, oh, he's so willing to just be nice and let him go. But, like, A, he knows that if he kills Mal, Alina will not forgive him. B, mm. if if Alina knows that Mal just ran away from her, he can manipulate that into being like, look, you were abandoned by your friend. Okay, but, okay, so, number one, I don't have the mind of a villain, so I don't think like Kiergan. Are you <laughs> saying that I, I mean, I yes! see, no, that's fair. Yeah, 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 that's 100% fair. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I just don't think like that. I am the it's... villain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, between the two of us. You said it, not me. No, it's it's 100% true. Oh, my heart hurts. <laughs> that reminds me, actually, a little bit of... I, so I was reading uh, a recap of this episode uh, from Vulture.com, and they point out all of the hard truths that I don't see. You know, they point out how codependent Mal and Alina are. They hurt each other. They hurt themselves to protect each other. Mm -hmm. And, like, I would never view that in that light. But it's true. Like, it's not healthy. But I don't see those things, right? Like, I'm too optimistic for this world. (laughs) Well, for this fake fantasy world. Yeah. For my fiction. I'm too optimistic for my fiction, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, other than maybe sometimes you think well of the villain, who literally yeah. has just said, yes, I am the villain. I know. I know. It makes me wonder if I'm going to be the sympathetic towards Kerrigan in, in season two. Like, I feel like I, mm, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. He's so complicated. He is very complicated. And I I do really like that about, like, I love a good complicated villain. It's, yeah. It makes it so interesting. All right. And then the final scene of the episode. I really actually love this because we see, you know, we, we kind of got two main casts here, the, the Shadow and Bone and the Crows. And mm-hmm. we all see them converging in this one place on the skiff in this little, mm-hmm. like one enclosed area. And yeah. I, I like that. And that's sort of what we get before the, the episode ends. Yeah. Uh, Kerrigan tells Alina that he will release Mal if she does her part. And then, of course, Mal... Expert tracker has stowed away on the skiff, so he's mm-hmm. there too. Um, and the crows are there in their disguises, a uh, little irritated that they're out in the open for this crossing of the fold. Yeah, so they- I like that they point that out because didn't you ask, like, why back in like episode one or two, why mm-hmm. they're on this like boat out in the open? Mm-hmm. Was that you or was that a conversation I was having with somebody else? I think it was me. Great, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so, and I, now because. The crows are there, too, thinking the exact same thing. Like, why are we yeah. out in the open like this? Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a great moment. And, of course, my last note mm-hmm. is it enters the fold. Okay. So my last note is that they have the crows say no mourners, no funerals. And it's... <sighs> okay. So I figured that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make sense to me because I haven't read the books. And I figured you'd probably have something to say about it because I was like, I, I it, that feels like a book thing. Yeah. It's interesting how they wrote it here in such a way that it sounds like this is the creation of it. 
if that makes sense. Like, this is the first time they've said it. So that's interesting. Like, it, See, as somebody who hasn't read the books, it didn't feel like it was the first time they've ever said it. It oh, felt okay. like a mantra. Like, it felt like this is a thing that these guys say, and I'm guessing this is an Easter egg for the book people. Yeah, so in the book, they say it all the time. I'm looking for I'm going to read it to you the first time they say it in the book. I didn't mark the page because I'm the worst. No, you're not. <laughs> well, the worst for myself. No mourners, Jesper said as he tossed his rifle to Roddy. No funerals, the rest of the dregs murmured in reply. Among them, it passed for good luck. Yeah, so it is a mantra. It is. One, one of them says it and everybody else sort of shouts it back. Mm. And that's yeah. how they go off to their job. That's it. It read to me that kind of feeling when okay. they said it here. Um, oh. Like this was something that they say to each other to keep them in spirits, to remind each other that they have each other's back, that they're going to get through this. Okay. Like it very much did not read as if this is the first time they've ever said it. That's good then. I like that. I was – so in our like uh, – what's the word? Trailer episode or for intro intro episode, I said that this is one of the things I was excited for, to hear the crows say, no, mor- no mourners, no funerals. And like oh, through, yeah. through watching the show, uh, because I like binged through it so quickly that first day, I wasn't even paying attention that they hadn't said it yet. Like it didn't even click in my mind until we got here. And I think Inej said no mourners. And I was like, oh shit, they haven't said it yet. And I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> so they did it well. I did they um I don't know like I kind of like it here but I think I would have liked it if they used it a bit more freely the way they do in the book oh okay okay because they like they say it all the time in the book it's like their thing so I don't know yeah I don't know I I think as a non-book reader it made sense here Mm mm-hmm because they were actively, like, fearing for their lives here in a way that they hadn't before. That's fair. Um, I don't know. And I guess it makes sense to me. If I had been in the writer's room, I would have been wanting it to be more of an Easter egg for the book readers. Mm. And so just choosing one place to put it. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really speak to it because I'm not a book reader, right? right yeah. So it just it, it works for me, but that's because I don't have the same expectations you do. That's fair. If, if there are any uh, book readers listening, I would love to know how you felt about where they put this, how it fits in. Yeah. Please yeah. please give me your opinions because I, I like it and I don't like it. I think that's fair. You know, and I think that's that's probably how good book adaptations are always going to be, mm-hmm. right? They're going to have things that make you love it and things that you don't like about it because part of you wants everything to be exactly the way it is in the book. Yeah. But part of you recognizes that it can't be, and so they have to try and fit it in well. And so, fine, it's great for what it is, but it's not the book. Like, I imagine that's probably the war that you're having. That's the war that I have on things like Outlander and Discovery of Witches. No, it's it's true. I I especially have that. So, in the show, I really love... Anytime we get to see the two sets of characters overlap and interact, I think it's great. It's so mm-hmm. much fun. And they do a good job with it. But also on the other side, because in the books, they have like little scenes where they kind of, maybe they don't interact, but they but they like pass each other or they see each other or something like that. And I'm sad that those scenes can never happen. Mm. But But I love having the scenes where they do interact in the show. But I'm also sad that it's made it impossible to do 
some of the scenes that are in the book, which mm-hmm. is just a really weird, it's really weird for me. For me. Yeah. I'm wondering, because they have had all of these characters intersect, mm-hmm. and now we're ending this episode where they're clearly all in the same place, and, and they have interacted before. That's how, I mean, that's how Alina got out of the yeah. little palace. Like, how is that going to impact the adaptation of the Six of Crows book? Oh, like, it's way more complicated than that. The The entire plot of Six of Crows makes the plot of Siege and Storm unnecessary. So huh. I don't know how they're going to do that. Okay. So like, do you think that they're just going to completely rewrite the Six of Crows story so that they can continue to be in the same world as Shadow and Bone I at the same no time? I have no idea. But you hope they don't do that. I don't know. Because, okay. look, if, if they do... If, <laughs> Spoilers. Um, if the reason for the big heist in Six of Crows still exists in in or exists in season two of this show, then they're gonna have to do. They're like, <laughs> why would then Alina? Why wouldn't that affect the world that's happening with the the stuff that's happening in Ravka? Is what I'm saying. I guess. Oh, yeah. God, that. Anyways, okay. there's a. <laughs> I'm not saying a lot here. I love it. I love how you are trying to censor yourself for me. I love it. It's amazing. Because you could just... It's amazing. (laughs) Like, things would be easier. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they could write something in where they're like, no, we can't do that because blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, I genuinely don't think it works to do them both at the same time. But So you're just in the dark with how they're going to move forward with that part of the story. No idea. Okay. But I don't like the idea. I have heard or I've talked to some other friends who've read the books, just like us spitballing what they might do. And a lot of us think maybe they would just do Siege and Storm and Ruin and Rising for season two and then come back to the crows afterwards. But then that would, you know, they can't do a whole season without them. Right. And then I've heard that maybe they'll just continue making stuff up for them until afterwards and then we'll get a season of Six of Crows. But that doesn't make sense either, I don't think. Mm. Or we just won't get the Six of Crows plot at all and they'll continue making stuff up for them. Or Hmm. the reason for the heist is different or which I don't think that works because of because of Nina and Matthias mostly. But eh. All right. This is like wrap up stuff really so i imagine we will come back to this conversation again when we do our season wrap up yes and i will say exactly what i just said and finish with the exact same thing where i go i don't know i don't know how they're gonna do it (laughs) all right okay i mean episode mvp no okay so it does have to be the goat you're right yeah it it can't not be milo like it has to be milo you're absolutely right but i mean moritz of a stag is right there he's bigger than milo Okay, he, but he could stab Milo with his horns if he wanted. He could, but he wouldn't because he's this nice regal animal. I mean, he has also cut in half. So, well, yeah. There's that. See, now, before I knew Milo was in this episode, I was going to make an argument for Jesper's gag reflex as <laughs> the MVP just because it's amazing. But I mean, then Milo shows up and it just has to be Milo. It does. I mean, he carried that bullet from Jesper to Mal and now. Ja- Jesper and Mal are secretly best friends. They don't even know it. <laughs> and they don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Guys. It's the best. Do you think the idea of them bonding over this goat really, uh, like, I want that to happen. I, I don't know <laughs> that it ever would. I don't know how it ever would. But I want them to bond over the goat. Like, 
I need more Milo in season two, but like I have no idea how they would do it now at this point. Yeah. Or maybe maybe Jesper finds a new goat and names him Milo too. I guess we're done with Milo. Yes. It's very sad. I have I have faith in the writers though that they'll give us something. If not Milo himself. Something. I mean, apparently they gave us an entire Twitter account, so well, again, allegedly, nobody actually knows, as far as I'm aware, who runs it. I just think it's one of the writers, specifically the one who wrote this episode. <laughs> All right. I think that's that. You can tweet us at EnterTheFoldPod or email us at EnterTheFoldPod at gmail.com. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin. And I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can just talk to me on Twitter at Mandy Kay, and, you know, let's have our own conspiracies about what's going to happen next season if you also haven't read the book. Like, I love the people who have also not read the book because I'm not alone. Yay. <laughs> and remember, my ears are very dignified. Like, I feel like that's about Milo, but it's probably not. I mean, I put it in here because it kind of worked with Milo, but it's yeah. definitely not because Milo's not in the books. And these are lines from I have a lot of feels about this episode, just FYI. So if I talk too much, I am so sorry. It's a podcast. You're supposed to talk for it. I know, but I feel like I just, I talk so much and don't let you talk and that's bad. No, the thing is when we record about this, I am struggling not to just talk about the book and the comparison. So when you have a lot to say, it helps. Okay. Um, we also found out here that Mal does know that he's the dark heretic. So Well, you Alina... skipped over Jenya. Oh shit, I sure did. <laughs> Thank you. Like I skipped over two whole paragraphs of my notes. I was literally like, oh, did I mess up? Does that happen first? Nope. <laughs> like the whole time you were talking, that's what I was thinking.